Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with all my David Kieran Murphy. Hello there all. Hi Kieran and Ken Erdy. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad at all, but I'm doing great because we're looking ahead to a bumper weekend of Gaelic football. Dublin Donegal in the All-Ireland semi-final at Croke Park in Dublin on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And rather more controversially, Mayo versus Kerry in the All-Ireland semi-final replay at the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick on Saturday. Going from what I'm reading today, if you're a Mayo or a Kerry fan with a ticket... I don't know what you're doing listening to us right now. You need to drop everything and leave straight away to make it there on time for the 5pm throw-in. To be honest, it's already too late. (laughs) You might as well listen to this podcast and watch it on TV because it's too late. The Pride Parade is happening in Limerick, which nobody seemed to know about. I'm sure everybody in Limerick and everybody Mm -hmm. involved in that knew about it, but nobody in the GAA took any note of the fact that all the streets are closed in Limerick City this Saturday. Not great. From from 2 o'clock. The Mayo supporters will face the additional issue of a fair taking place in Claren Bridge. (laughs) Tell you, Clare Bridge isn't the biggest place in the world, but so I would say that a fair is going to take over that town pretty comprehensively. And I'm reading a piece in the Examiner here, which quotes the Mayo PRO. We've looked at alternative routes, says is it Aidan McLaughlin? But the best advice we can give is to leave early and drive safely. <laughs> We've looked at alternative routes, but no, no, that's the way you have to go via you can Clare go Bridge. Through Cavan uh, wouldn't make any sense. Mm. Go to Athlone. Apparently, some people are going to go to Athlone and go to Limerick that way, which. Even with a cursory knowledge of Irish geography, it doesn't appear to make a massive amount of sense. We're going to have Ushie McConville and Anthony Moyles in studio shortly to chat about that. And also the Dublin-Donegal gamer, which has been receiving maybe less attention than it would have, but mm. it's bubbling, bubbling along mean, nicely. In fairness to the Dublin-Donegal players, I mean, it's not like the Mayo-Kerry game is getting that much attention. It's more the yeah. location for the game. The venue is getting all of the attention. 
US Murph is going to talk to us about the reaction in the sporting community there to events in Ferguson, Missouri around the fatal shooting of an unarmed black teenager, Michael Brown. There was a really interesting piece which we've tweeted at Second Captains. It was written about this by Howard Bryant is the name of the journalist on ESPN.com. Now, Bryant argues that there actually hasn't been much of a reaction. There's been less public comment to this tragedy among sports people than there was to the Boston bombing is what he talks about or also the killing of Trayvon Martin last year if you remember that case and he goes into detail about the reasons for the differing reactions if you want to have a read of that please do but we'll chat to Brian about that a little bit later on we've got two bonus programmes for you this week as part of our second captain's 250 celebrations we had a big interview with Bill O'Hurley which you should check out if you haven't already and tomorrow morning just take your time over breakfast relax and enjoy a conversation with David Bedeal novelist stand-up comic Chelsea fan and co-presenter and creator of Fantasy Football League, certainly one of our, well, one of my favourite ever you can, football you can speak programs for me. on TV. I give you my permission to that. name that as one of my favourite. Uh, I remember actually um, we had videotapes after videotapes of Fantasy Football League, so episodes that would run into each other. So three-hour tapes would have six episodes of Fantasy Football League, and they were pretty well worn by the, the time you know DVDs came into, <laughs> came into action. So did you watch them and record them? Or did you were you going to miss them? No, no. I I pressed record on my videotape player and then record and then watched them subsequently. Ken, I was more of a Saint Gravesy man. You were you're a traditionalist. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, well, um, I thought. It, I mean, it was no. I did. I did like the program. I thought it was good. I mean, it was the first kind of first time really that. Uh, I mean, Saint and Gravesy, I suppose, was almost like a prototype. It was like the idea that you could have a show about. Sport, which wasn't like a lot like the weather forecast, you know what I mean? This sort of idea that maybe you could inject a bit of personality in the form of Jimmy Greaves, um, who was a kind of gags man on that show. Um, but it was it was kind of part of the development of um, the kind of media surrounding football, really. Well, we have got a clip from Fantasy Football League, which uh, I think we can play for you now, Kieran. Yeah, well, I mean, Steve. Phoenix from the Flames, uh, featuring Naeem, who you may recall lobbed, uh, former Spurs player, lobs David Seaman from the halfway line in a European Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, so, yeah, we can hear that now. What about your goal? It was amazing. Yes, the commentator, Brian Moore, said it was amazing. Just before he turned into Kermit the Frog. Amazing! David Seaman, all he could do. He's <laughs> 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 lying in the back of his goal. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, you know, it was like highbrow stuff like that. Basically, is what we're talking about. We've also got a brand new website for you. Second, that's David Badil, by the way. Tomorrow, Friday, we'll have it out for you on Friday morning. We've got a brand new website for you. Secondcaptains.com. We're delighted with that. So do have a look. If you don't feel like having a look, then please allow me to shamelessly bribe you with second captains T-shirts, pencils, darts, robes, bags, all essential parts of our survival kit. You can get onto the website for details of all of that one. Now, this is what we spent most of our 250th show celebrations budget on. We forked out the big books on a very specific and somewhat complicated piece of radio technology. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you the Richie Sadler soundboard. 42,000 morons. People who went are, to use your words, morons. Yeah, and they were You're mocking a football fan for going to watch his football team. I'm mocking. That's not, like, how do I'm, you mock people? I'm not mocking people. Yes, another amazing soundbite introducing the Richie Sadler soundbite there. That was a debating battle with his nemesis, Dermot Keeby. 42,000 morons. <laughs> Describe what I have in front of me here for the listeners. It's pretty impressive, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I, you can probably hear that low, slightly threatening hum in the background. That Because it's a gigantic, it's a gigantic machine, piece of machinery. It's like the first IBM computer, really. Yeah. Um, 
knobs and twiddlers and valves tubes. and tubes. And 1,000 buttons. 1,000 buttons, to be precise about it. Each one a word representing an amazing Richie Sadler soundbite. Okay. All of us get to have a go here. It's it's It's... Pretty simple, really, at its essence. Ken, uh-huh. pick a number between one and a thousand there. I'll go for 776. Cross that fit. He's brutal. <laughs> I'm going to go for 39. Okay. Fast of luck. <laughs> oh, that's, I like that one. Simon, give us a number, please. Eight. Number eight. All right. Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> my, fa- my personal favourite. Mark Horgan. 930. All right. How are you, lads? <laughs> that <laughs> actually could be my already? personal favourite. No, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, the, that's a slot that's got to run and run, I'm sure, Murph. I mean, we've got 1,000 buttons here to get through. We only have, we've got 995 others. Seriously, Seriously, we really do have them all. Five goals every show. That's going to keep us going for 199 more programmes. Yeah, good maths. Anthony Moyles and Ushi McGonville have joined us in studio. Lads, thanks for popping in. Come on, on. No matter at all, on. Ahead of a big weekend, the mayo Kerry game is set for Limerick, apparently. I don't know if, oh. if you've, <laughs> if you've mm, heard this. At, at this stage of the week, the only thing, well, the only thing that matters to the outcome of the game is whether any of this has any impact on the players uh, a distraction like this a story like this rumbling on in your experience would it have any impact at all Anthony? Um, I don't think so I think you know they probably have put it to bed earlier on in the week I suppose the stuff Horan's going on with even with the Lee Keegan thing there's a little bit there's definitely a bit too much distraction there but the Lee Keegan I, so that's more of a distraction is the appeal for uh, the yeah the appeal you know but I think realistically players are big enough bold enough now and this Mayo team certainly um, are experienced enough and you would also think the Kerry team are experienced enough just to say look you, see, you sound almost bored with the Limerick angle which is just fine Anthony because I did want to yeah. move on anyway <laughs> why are we still talking yeah about yeah this? I think it's been absolutely now just you know talk to death Oshin so. I think Shane Corrin covered it quite well on Monday with yourselves. Um, people are, are sort of fed up with it and it's, only, it's, it's lingered on a couple of days. But I think people are getting down to the fact now that there's actually a football match on. Mm. And, uh, you know, what uh, happened last week, uh, what effect last week's going to have. The Lee Keegan thing, I actually think that, that uh, personally speaking, if I was the manager of Mayo, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have appealed it because I don't think there's any point. Because I think, as we said on Sunday, that... Um, to the letter of the law, the referee was right, and there's absolutely no way in the world that a referee is going to be overturned in that in, mm-hmm. in a situation like that. So, probably, uh, maybe they're appealing and they've already said to the boys, "Look, he's not going to be available. We accept that and and, and move on." But it can be uh, sort of a lingering distraction when you don't know if one of your best players. Well, Ryan McMahon was a big one years ago, wasn't it for Tyrone? Didn't Mickey Hart yeah. went right up to that morning? I think he was still yeah, trying to get really it overturned thought, by the DRA or whoever it was. Yeah, and I really thought then, and I to be honest. I think na- even now that appeals like this, I think maybe, you know, if it's one of your less important players in, in a weird kind of way, you can say, right, yeah. it's a bonus if he's there. Like, Keegan is so important to Mayo. He could be their best player, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think himself and Aidan O'Shea, maybe, and Killian O'Connor are the three guys that would be deemed hardest to replace on that Mayo team. Would he be training? with the, uh, Of course he'd be, but would he be, would they have to essentially set drills with him involved and then maybe with McLaughlin or whoever else might be involved? There? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, like I mean, if they're doing a say 15 against 15, they'll have McLaughlin playing as a halfback on the other team or something like that. And Keegan will probably go to, to say, the possibles team. Yeah. That's that's what would happen. I, I agree with Oshin. I just, I just don't think it, 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 it doesn't, it's something that Horn just didn't need to do because there's absolutely no way it's going to be overturned. Mm. It'll probably be overturned later on. <laughs> As we speak, Lee Keegan is not playing anyway. Would Kevin McLaughlin be the right player to go back there? He no, it in no I don't believe so. I like Kevin McLaughlin where he is. Um, I think he, he, he fulfills that role at half forward quite well for them. Uh, I think that 
that Mayo are going to play a little bit differently this this uh, this weekend. Um, I think they'll have learned a lot from the last. I know I say that every time we watch Mayo, but they, I think they have learned a lot this time. Um, this time round, I think uh, they'll they'll probably play Feeney maybe at uh, at at wing half back, which may suit them because he's he's decent going forward as well. He is he is inclined to have a rash challenge or two, but I think he's the obvious player who's gonna who's gonna fill in there. McLaughlin probably stay at the half forward. I imagine that Parsons is gonna start in the middle of the field. I think he's done enough to start. Uh you know, somebody who's come out of nowhere. He actually looks decent going forward as well. Um Vaughan will probably slip back in to centre half back. Um I think that's fine for this game. I think looking down the line, that might not be the the best thing for from a, from a male point Why of view. Why would it be fine for this game? Because um, I think they'll pro- uh, carry play Buckley there, and I think he sort of suits. He'd suit sort mm-hmm. of Buckley because he'll go out around the uh, middle of the field. He he's Buckley didn't really make a lot happen for them last week. He's not your traditional centre half forward. Tradition, traditional centre half forward in the fact that he's uh, making things happen. That he's playing balls a lot of fo- a lot of balls into the full forward lane and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's left to the likes of Donica Walsh and, and boys like that. But uh, I feel as if uh, Buckley and, and Vaughan would sort of cancel each other out there. You not get a you don't get a major amount from both of them. And uh, Vaughan has that thing where he can make those runs through the middle. And I think he he suits maybe playing at centre half back against Kerry. Not so sure against uh, against Dublin because you have to be a man man marker against uh, against whoever's playing eleven for Dublin. Anthony. Yeah, um, I think Feeney. I don't know if he'll start because I think he's he, he's got no game time at all this year. You know, so I, th- I think it's a big. Yeah, he's down the pecking order massively yeah, with with Horn. You know, I think the big thing for Horn this week is, and I know Shane Curran just touched on it the other day. I think Horan is slightly naive with regard to his tactics and his strategy, um, and Fitzmaurice <laughs> is way ahead of him. Um, and I think he has an unbelievable bunch of players that Mayo haven't had in donkey's years, and he has won. Okay, you take the Connacht Championship out of it. He hasn't really. They haven't. They haven't got the the, the main one yet, and neither. Um, they kind of it, it, beside themselves. They they managed to kind of mess up every time, and they nearly lost that game. And you know they were. He was he was tactically naive in the first half, in the sense of he actually he handed the initiative to Kerry because. Straight away he said, well, actually, we're going to put a sweeper in in front and we're going to kind of double up on James O'Donoghue. Um, now, by doing that, he allowed a guinea for Kerry to basically run the line and run that half-forward line. And we all know here, you can't give Kerry lad space and time on a ball to pick a pass. Like, I think Gibbons was hard done by because if you look even at a few times, he went to go to other players, the ball was swept to, to Moore and Moore hit two or three fantastic points. But what happens in a situation like that is, especially when you're playing in a team, and it's happened to me on numerous occasions playing as a defender, if the lads outside aren't doing the work, you know, and, and we're not really pressing on a team, well, then all of a sudden the, point, the finger is pointed at, oh, this lad's getting a roasting in corner, for, corner back. But that could be because the ball is just coming in perfectly to a corner forward. Mayo's second half said, that's it, lads. You could see the difference of the switch. Colin Boyle went on a run. Aidan O'Shea went on a run. I think he had about three Kerry lads at one stage hanging out of him. Um, and McLaughlin went on searing runs through the middle. And they just, you could see all of a sudden that Kerry went from a situation where they were controlling, 
getting a lot of ball into actually saying, oh, oh, look at this coming at us. It was wave after wave. Interestingly, part of that may have been down to the fact that they'd gone down to 14 men. I can't remember which of the Mayo players earlier in the week said that we actually made a decision, it might have been McLaughlin actually, that we had to hold on to the ball. We had to hold on to possession a little bit more. So maybe that, because we obviously couldn't let them kill us with the extra man. So maybe that led to that approach Absolutely, of the big 100%. guys. Absolutely, well, yeah. The Keegan sending off was actually his saving. I think if Keegan had stayed in the field, I think Mayo would have lost that really? game. Because I don't think he would have learned what he needed to learn, which was... now. The players have to take a bit of responsibility for this because they were standing off Kerry, right? And they were kind of allowing Kerry. But also, there's a mentality when you go into a game like that, which was contain. You could see it. It was contain Kerry. It wasn't absolutely go out and rip Kerry's throat out, which is go 50 and let Kerry worry about us. Mayo went into it the idea of containing Kerry, containing James O'Donoghue. Let's let Geeney get the ball. He won't do much damage. And he did an absolute So maybe that, serious like, this idea that all those old defeats are in the past and have no impact on the current players, maybe... That's not true. Maybe there is something. Yeah, back I think m- more of an effect on the players and the management. I believe that Horn, when Horn sent them out uh, last on in the first half, he didn't expect them to play like that. Yeah, I don't think that's the way they trained. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think they they wanted to double up on O'Donoghue. To be honest, I thought that was fair enough in many ways. But all over the rest of the field, it was too lateral. It was too slow. Uh, the ball going in the four lane. You know what? There was, there was absolutely zero quality in it. And all of a sudden, there was nobody coming from half-back. There was nobody coming in to join the attack. Now, I've never seen Mayo play like that. I haven't seen them play like that, certainly this year anyway. The good points about Mayo is that when they run at you, they cause you problems uh, because they are athletic, they are physical, um, and when they get it to the right players, the right players will take the right option. But... <clears throat> Too many times in the first half of that game, we've seen the wrong players with the with the with the ball in in probably the positions that the likes of Killian O'Connor and and to be fair, I know Freeman comes in for a bit of stick. I still think he has something to offer in that in that in that forward line. I just think he didn't get enough of the ball. I think he was starting to come into it and he was actually taken off on. Uh, but on again, Sunday. he's that point, Oshin, where. Freeman was, was, wasn't getting the ball. Like, I mean, if Freeman had been on for those 15 or 20 minutes at the start of the second half when Mayo were... I bet you he would have got, he would have got a rake ball. But, like, he was living off scraps and mm-hmm. Mark O'Shea was, you know, was picking him up and it was an easier job for O'Shea. But can I, like, can I yeah. say this? That, that if Fitzmaurice or McGuinness had what James Horn has, I think he probably would have made a better fist of it. But I don't think he can, he can uh, put all of the blame at Horn's door because I think... When players go out on the field, like when James Horn seen the way they were playing after twenty minutes, I've absolutely no doubt he wanted to change things. But to get, I think he said it at the time to get a message on to players on the field, especially in Crow Park, especially to everybody, it's almost like you know that timeout thing. You need you, that's what you need, yeah. And you can see it. Like I, I, I've only seen it, I suppose, in the last year when you sort of th- feel as if things are slipping away from you. You're going, you're trying to change things, you're trying to change players in the position. But it's the complete. It's the mindset mm. you need to change. You need to change everybody. But the thing about it is, Fitzmaurice thought, which was interesting. Mm. You know, Fitzmaurice realised, um, and that's why I think he put Declan O'Sullivan on so early because yeah. he said, "I can actually put my quarterback on here now because they're not actually coming at us in droves." Yeah. So he said, "I can put a fella on who can dictate," and I actually think it ended up Fitzmaurice ended up making some bad substitutions because I think Sheen didn't really offer anything. Um, and he actually took a lot of pace out of his half-forward yeah. line. And if you look at it in the second half, Kerry had no outlet. And all they were doing was just being pinned back, pinned back, pinned back. And they had no outlet, actually. And that's when Mayo really started coming at them. Yeah, Declan Sullivan's interesting as well, you know, because it, it, 
he was brought on with after 20 minutes. I think a lot of people, you've uh, provided an alternative uh, explanation for that there, and maybe that's very true as well. But a lot of people maybe said he thinks Declan O'Sullivan has 50 minutes in him. Let's give him the 50 minutes from the last 50 minutes as opposed to the first 50 minutes. I mean, he didn't have any real impact on the game whatsoever. I mean, how do you think Fitzmaurice is going to use O'Sullivan this week? Well, I think, sorry, but I think he'll learn... I think Fitzmaurice will. Learn. I think what what Kerry need is Kerry need pace in that half forward line. Now I think Darren Sullivan was suffering with a hamstring, but I would have had Barry John Keane on or even O'Leary on yeah. before Sheehan and before O'Sullivan because Mayo are going to learn and they're going to go right at Kerry from this from the off. There's going to be no more. I'd say they're going to say, "Look, Keith Higgins, you look after O'Donoghue. If he scores one four off, you don't worry about it because we'll score one six one eight up here." That's yeah. what I think it'll happen, right? Um, because I think they have to do that. They have to stick their chests out and go for it. Because um, they're no good any other way. They're not. They're yeah. not any good any other way. Because again, it goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. This defensive system. When is a defensive system? Putting one lad back there is not a defensive system. It's basically saying, well, do you know what? Your extra man can actually have the ball, and then he can pick point passes. And that's exactly what Kerry did. Especially if your your own extra man doesn't really know what he's doing yeah, exactly as a exactly. sweeper. We, we've because, talked about this before. You have to actually yeah. have the plan in place for the season. I just want to ask, yeah. it, it's an interesting point you raise about Horn as compared to those other couple of managers. Where does Jim Gavin fit into that heading into the Donegal game? Is it harder to judge of how good tactically Gavin is given the players at his disposal? That's the thing that's always going to be level at Gavin, I suppose, is that you know he's got a wealth of talent, but you have to make the most of him. So I think it'd be fair to say if he can go back to back that. He deserves all the plaudits because... Right now, uh, is, he, is he as tactically astute as Jim McGuinness, for example? Uh, can I hold off answering that? We do have to preview the match. <laughs> I'll answer it for him. I don't think he's had to be. You know, he hasn't really had to be because, Wish you know... No, but, but you know, in the sense of, I saw, you know, uh, Mickey Whelan kind of saying, well, we had the same kind of mentality and we were playing the same type of football in 2011, our halfbacks. And maybe, you know, maybe he's right. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, Jim Gavin, is, I don't think he's changed it that much. But um, he hasn't had to be. He hasn't had to be all the way through Leinster. Like, I mean, he's just steamrolled teams and even against Monaghan, you know. So now... The question will be asked 15 minutes, 20 minutes into this game um, how tactically aware he is and how he's actually able to contend with it and get the right people on the ball. That'll be the interesting thing. But I would dispel the myth that Jim Gavin picks 15 players and goes, go on out and enjoy yourselves, boys. Have a, yeah. you know, have a really good game. Like Nobody walks as hard as the dubs do. And when you've got talented players who walk, then you've got something. And in order to have that and have that mentality in the dressing room, that comes from the manager. And that, Absolutely. that players feed off what the manager tells them. If if a manager was telling them something and they for one second thought that he was a bluffer or anything else, then he would be he he wouldn't get the response that he's getting. So he's getting the response that he's getting shows that he's a good man manager as yeah. much as anything else. What Jim Gavin has said in the past though is that he likes for the players to express themselves but go out and play the match play what they see to a certain extent focus on their own performance and their own game plan against Donegal can you really do that though I mean, I, you, you I can't ignore what Donegal are going to bring yeah I don't think I don't think you can now maybe there is an element in this Dublin team that says everyone is saying we're going to have to change our style for this game now I don't know if Hubris comes into a team you know that have won two All-Irelands in three years they're going for two in a row you know is there an element that the Dublin lads stick their chest out and say why are we worrying about these guys? You know, they they have one forward. They're, I mean, if, if they might pick three, they might pick six forwards. They're actually only going to play one. Let's just 
let's just beat the crap out of And that could be counterproductive if they do yeah. have that mindset. I mean, if you, if you get into that mindset, Donegal bring you down into a really, you know, hideous game where it's Donegal at 4-2 up at half time. All of a sudden, yeah. are you putting a lot of pressure on yourself to in those 15 minutes of half time and the 35 minutes, 38 minutes of the second half to turn it all around from a situation where you've been telling each other for the last three weeks we're going to destroy these guys? Well, that's where Jim Gavin... And his ability will come into it. Um, like, there's no doubt about it. Even even if he's... I think Gavin deserves a bit more applause than he probably is getting. And people are, as Oshin as says, are throwing that thing at him of, Osher, immense amount of talent. And he can change the game from the bench, right? But if you look at the nuances of even the Monaghan game, the way the forwards were passing the ball, one-touch football, it was all... You can imagine they were practising probably 10 backs against four forwards. And it was literally was one-touch. Like, if Bernard Brogan wasn't even looking at the post at some stage, especially when he had his back to the goal, he was literally looking for the offload. So that comes in training. He has those forwards being pretty selfless. You know, there's no lads really looking for, oh, this is my score. Now, there was a little bit of some substitutes who came on, but I'd say he's eradicated that. Murph is completely right. The, 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 the question for Dublin here, I think, on Sunday is not about football. It's not about that. It's actually about mental strength and actually realising because Donegal have, have just... This is, this is the game they've waited for all year. They had the, 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 the Tyrone game up in lights and this is the second one. As I say, McGee lads, these fellas, they will, Dublin players, Dublin forwards will have not come up against the ferocity that they're going to come up against. It will be borderline... You know, it will be like the referee is going to be busy. The linesmen are going to be busy. It'll it'll be everything that you need to have, but at the same time, how they react to that is the big question. Like if Cormac Costell is on, how he reacts to say Neil McGee or Eamon McGee really, really going at him and testing him as a young man. How they react to it? How does Macaulay react to it? And because Donegal have been there, they've done it. You know, and 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 they're old. They're old. They, they have they have the blueprint on this. What's the worst that those players can do to this Dublin team, though? I mean, Macaulay... I, I, I couldn't see Michael Dyer Macaulay getting too rattled, for example. Yeah, well, I have seen him getting rattled. I think they can rattle they can rattle the Dublin players, but I think Dublin, probably in their mindset, will be so prepared for this, you know, because they've had 20-odd uh, minutes of it against Monaghan where it took them 20 minutes to sort of figure them out. I throw a spanner in the works here and say that I am convinced that Donegal will play all 15 men behind the ball on Sunday. Right. Absolutely convinced. Zero players up front. Zero players up front. In fa- They're in going fact, for nil all. They though. may. They Are you may. <laughs> yeah, I am 100% serious. I am 100% serious. So where do they... Uh, where is the They're going to try and break from, from the back. I don't know if you even know if he's going to play McFadden. Um, but I, I, I am convinced that that's what's going to happen. I think he's not too far wrong there because I think the the the, the thing about it is, and myself and Oshim were talking about it, when McFadden was in full forward on his own, it was a disaster. Only when Murphy went in there and they had a point of contact did actually Donegal look like they were going to beat Armagh. If they had left McFadden in there, they would have been better at the gate. You mentioned uh, Mickey Whelan's article. He suggested McFadden be brought, or that what might happen is actually bring McFadden further out and send Michael Murphy into the forward line. But nobody's going to be the forward line in your lineups. No, I don't think it's going to be forward line. What I think they're going to do is I'm not spend a week away, right? So something's going to change. Yeah. And this, I think, is what it's going to be. And what they're going to do is they're going to pick different players who are going to go forward um, together at different it's, stages. Yeah. And it's going to be like, as far as they're concerned, it's a game of basketball. So yeah, they have, they have. Sorry, Murphy. They have to bring. They have to 
bring something different. Yeah. So Dublin, they're going to like you could, absolutely Rory O'Carroll, Johnny Cooper, and Fee McMahon could literally be standing there on their own. And then they might say, right, come on up and and try and get passes at fifty meters. This is just bizarre. Yeah, I'm just trying to so picture it. Cookston's kick out. Yeah. Give them the. Click they're going to give them the kick out. But you've been saying you can't do that against Dublin. You can't. I'm still convinced that Dublin won this game. Yeah. Uh, so you, you ha- so Cluxton, Cluxton rolls the ball out to Philly McMahon yeah. or Johnny Cooper or whoever yeah. and they march up the, the field. So but where do Donegal sorry, but we might be no, getting into full dork territory now, yeah. but where do where do where do Donegal where do Donegal set up then? On I'd the forty five No, I imagine they'll set up and they can't set up in the forward and forty five line. I imagine they'll set up from midfield. Yeah. They'll have lines. They'll try and turn yeah, the ball over from yeah. there. But like I can guarantee you that that Jim McGuinness didn't take them to a week for Johnson House to uh, to work on what they've been working on mm. so yeah. far this yeah. year. Something yeah. has to change. Something's got to change. If if Donegal play the way they played against Monaghan or Armagh, then they will be absolutely beat out the gate. Yeah. And Jim McGuinness knows that because Jim McGuinness is a very shrewd individual. Yeah. Like I mean, they can't. They can't do exactly that. Uh, but really, it's not that much of a difference if you think about it. It's literally it's bring, one bring a one actually. lad extra. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not like you're, basically, you know. Donegal are employing a sweeper system on top of their original system. <laughs> yeah. So they've one guy sweeping behind the other forty lads that they have. Yeah, this certain fellas yeah. will stay in situ at all times. And the one thing that was interesting the last day, if you watched it against Armagh, sometimes the likes of the McGee lads went forward. McGee yeah. got a great point. <clears throat> I've never seen him really take off like that. Mostly they stay at home. So what they've probably looked at as well is the guys who can go, go, and go at different times. I think the last day against Armada, we're getting used to the surrounds of Crow Park. It took them a while. But really, they hit seven wides in a row. They, got, they should have been out of sight of Armada. But that, I think that's, it's very interesting what Oshina says, and it, they have to do it, or else Dublin will go through them. So you see in rugby... The- Guys attacking in pods, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, this yeah. phrase is used in pods. So off the back of a scrum, three guys go as a unit. So this is what we're talking about, exactly. effectively. Okay, yeah. but if if they're if they employ that system and they're two points ahead early in the second half, uh, similar to 2011, Jim Gavin, do you change it then? If 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 Dublin, sorry, if Donegal, I should say, employ the system you're talking about, they have no forwards, they attack in clusters, they're five points to three ahead with 15, 20 minutes to go. At that stage, do they change it up? And do Donegal change it? Do, do Donegal change it up? If they're if they're five three down, sorry. No, sorry. If Donegal are a couple of points up, yeah. uh, if they have a chance of winning, playing that system, do they, they learn from? They, they'll just play that way because 2011 seems to be a lot of people at the time said, well, if Donegal had actually attacked a little bit when they had gone three points up or whatever it had been, given McFadden a bit of support, they might have been able to close that game out. I agree with you, but just not against Dublin. You know, I think that if you do uh, employ that tactic where you're five three up, I think that's as good that's utopia as far as Donegal is concerned yeah. and I think what they do from that stage is they hold on tight even tighter and uh, and, and force Dublin they go defensive them. then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. shut up shop here lads <laughs> really park the bus put the handbrake on but I think I think I think again uh, again when they go forward I just think that Dublin would have a, a serious capacity compared with other teams and compared with that Dublin team um, of turning them over because mm. I don't think they're physically strong on the ball I think they've brought in some good players in McHugh and McNeilis and boys like that but they're not as strong on the ball as what what they've been replaced Lacey's a shadow of the, of the player he was um, even at that stage and uh, obviously when they won the All-Ireland so um, I just think that regardless what they do that the Dubs will have enough because they'll catch them yeah 
You know, like, I mean, they've lost Bradley, they've lost obviously McHugh, they've lost that. That's a couple of big <clears> players <throat> for them, um, and fellas who are good in that role of breaking the line, coming on, and actually getting the score at the end of it. Yeah. You know, they need yeah. enough fellas at the score at the end of it. Like, you look, who's the man to pop up for them against Armagh? Murphy. You know, who's the fellow who said, look, give me the ball, I'll stick it over the bar after four or five really yeah. shocking attempts. You know what? Dublin will be ready for Murphy as well. One last point I wanted to raise on this game. I know Kieran here thinks that I'm reading more into this than there is, but Jim McGinn is talking about Dublin's financial strength there a few days ago, saying that it was like Abramovich going into the Premier League. It's a different ball game now. Dublin are way out in front of any other team. Was that just Jim McGinnis answering a question, or was that Jim McGinnis applying a little bit of pressure, as in, these guys are so far out ahead, how can they not beat us on Sunday? My personal opinion is that they're worried. And when you hear them shooting from the hip like that, you know that they're worried. And they'll try absolutely anything. So it is a bit of a ploy? I think so. I think it's a bit of a ploy, but I think it's a it's a real sign that Donegal Donegal usually keep all their stuff in house. They've sp- they've spoken probably more. I've seen more about them this past two weeks than I've seen about them in quite a while. So for me, that would tell you that they do they are feeling a little bit of the pressure, and uh, they'll try anything. You'll see that on Sunday, but they'll try anything beforehand and after. Kevin Cassidy said it was a silly comment. There was no need for it. Well. So good Donegal, Donegal were away in Portugal. They'd end another week in Johnson, so it's not like they're, they're struggling well for themselves. Yeah. yeah, like I mean, it's not like they've been sitting there, you know, kicking one or two O'Neills around. Like I mean, they're obviously well <laughs> yeah. looked after. So um, yeah, I, I agree with Russia. I think it's just, but you have to look under the under the hood, I suppose, of that comment as Oshin has, and and I think McGuinness, this Dublin team are even a different breed. Um, like I mean. You're you're not even talking about the way they can possibly, but physically, like I mean, I, I looked at it during the week. Will O'Gara be intimidated? Will certain fellows be intimidated? Fellows have been trying to intimidate Alan Brogan, Bernard Brogan for years. You know, will they really, really get under their skin? Is it capable, or is the actual intimidation just going to come from that every time you turn? there's someone there who hits you. And every time you look around to find a bit of space, there's someone there who hits you. And mm. maybe it's a frustration and it's an intimidation of actually yourself. Because what can often happen is, let's say if Connolly's not going well and he gets blocked up a couple, he starts to, go, starts to be rash. He starts to maybe go for a few of his own scores. All of a sudden, the Dublin forwards aren't being as slick as they could be. That's where Donegal may succeed. But uh, I mean, Monaghan tried the same thing with Jim yeah. Connolly. I mean, it was like a five-minute concerted assault on uh, Jeremy Connolly, just a mental disintegration or whatever the uh, all backs like to call it and you know a minute later he took a goal in the back of the net you know, like that's, that's yeah. been his and in fairness to Connolly every team tries to do that and that's been his answer for the last 18 months absolutely, or more absolutely yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they've learned and that has come from Gavin you know that calmness that realisation that look this is going to happen to you what do you expect yeah. you know you're a forward playing with Dublin you're going to get hit Darrow Shea was writing the same thing about Paul Flynn in the Monaghan game the yeah. exact same way I mean they just they seem much more ready to mix it any way you want to play it now and it's maximum pressure from Dublin all the time they'll pressure they'll pressure Donegal's kickouts and it'll be relentless to the point where Donegal will eventually hold up their hands I'll get your predictions but you've kind of sounds like a real carnival of football yeah a real carnival of football <laughs> on that one but uh, Kieran McGinney's five year term is the other piece of news O'Shane yeah. uh, do you see a new golden age for Armagh football well I think there's a bit of continuity there now for the first time in quite a while. Um, uh, I think the young lads have responded well to Kieran. Um, I think he's responded well to them. He has their interests at heart. Um, and I think five years sounds like a long time, but I suppose in Armagh we would see it as probably five years down the line before we can uh, 
properly contest uh, and look to win in All Ireland again. So it's a big move, it's a big call, um, but I think it's a very positive thing because off the back of this year, and I know of what the young lads, you know, coming up think of him, and I think there's a good basis there now. We've got Stephen McDonald over the under twenty ones. Uh, Miners did okay this year, and probably you know looking for a change of manager, maybe Paul McGrain or somebody uh, coming in to do the minors. So it means that there's a, as I say, there's a bit of continuity there, and we've got we've got people now with a bit of vision. I think. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting that you would say that say McGrain might take over the minors. You're in charge across McGlen with uh, Tony McEntee, um John John McEntee, sorry, and McGinney's in charge of the senior team. Does it actually make a difference? that you guys were teammates and you know obviously if you're a cross McGlenn manager you're a pretty important person in in Armagh football do you think that makes a, a big difference? If you were privy to some of the phone calls during the year <coughs> between myself and Kieran, you probably wouldn't have thought we were teammates but yeah I think it does I think it I think it really really helps I think there's a new breed of people and a lot of that goes down to Paul McGrain who's taken a lot of the O2 boys and, and boys who have played football for Armagh in the past into development squads uh, specialist coaching mm. Uh, all that sort of thing, and I think that's exactly what needed. You have got to peel it back when you're when you're in a situation like that. I think I, I laugh sometimes when I see uh, <coughs> counties or clubs bringing in a high-profile manager to try and sort out the problems. We're still going, not going to have the players. You got to start down below. You got to start grassroots and try and build it up. And I think that's what Arma have done. It's going to take them a while to get there, but it's a positive few months for us. Anyway. All right, predictions, Anthony. Who's going to be in the All Ireland final this year? Mayo, Dublin. Okay. I'm going to mail double. Good enough. Lads, great to talk to you. Well You're both surprised about your agreement here. Enjoy the games. Thank you. Cheers. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Oh, if O'Sheen's dire tactical predictions hold true on Sunday, Murph. What we're going to witness is one team playing Gaelic football against another team playing Kabaddi. <laughs> 13 players holding hands around their own goal. Two others making occasional raids into the opponent's half. Yeah. I was about to say not chanting, but this is the Donegal football team. They may be chanting yeah. some stuff, I don't okay, know. You, you're going to have to remind me again, really briefly, of the rules of Kabaddi because all I remember is just people saying the word Kabaddi, Kabaddi all the time. Well, that was because they had to hold their breath. They had to prove that they were... They had to say Kabaddi while... Not exhaling or something along these lines. Remember, it was team chasing essentially. I mean, that's what it okay. is. Have you ever played any sort of variant of team chasing? No, just Gaelic football on. Just right, okay. Gaelic football. What do you think of the this uh, well, vista that has been presented by Oshin? It is. Um, yeah, it is pretty uh, apocalyptic. All right. Well, I mean, I'm fascinated by it. I, I hope that that's what happens. Um, do you? You hope there are 15 men behind the ball for Donegal? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think I want to see that. Ken, you look a little dubious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mayo Kerry was great last week. It's probably going to be great on Saturday. I mean, let's not get too greedy here. Three great football games in seven days on? Is that might be too much excitement for a lot of people. I don't think so. I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be an interesting variant on a game, at least. <laughs> if nothing else, son. Today's Irish Times second captain's football show is out now. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Revenge, Owen. Um, 
I saw actually some. There was news that revenge actually makes you feel worse when you revenge yourself upon somebody, even when you have achieved the revenge. Hmm. I mean, you think that revenge would make you feel better, make you feel satisfied. Well, I've taken care of business on that account. But it turns out that no, it just uh, sort of drives whatever the original trauma was more deeply into your mind. Are you sure it's not just that it's slightly anticlimactic? Like when you are striving towards a certain goal, mm. achieve the goal, and then think, is that it? I'm not feeling amazing about this. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. You, can, you tend to dwell and brood on it afterwards for a long time. Uh, the, the whole original trauma becomes part of your life in a way which, if you didn't uh, succumb to the urge for revenge, you'd simply move on and forget about it's it. It's funny, what's on the show? Angel Di Maria. Angel Di Maria is, enough about that. is, is a man on a mission of revenge. Uh, his, his mission... Uh, to grind the name of the the institution of Real Madrid into dust over the next uh, over the course of his contract with Manchester United, it's an insane ambition. <laughs> but maybe, maybe, just maybe, he can pull it off. Sit low on that. I'm Tim Vickery. Uh, Tim Vickery also, um, who's also going to talk to us a little bit about Tim Maria, but also about Dunga, Dunga, uh, who's had a little bit of time to bet in as Brazil manager, um, not the revolutionary change everyone was hoping for. Um, but maybe he does bring some strength to the job. The two guys are in good form as always, so that is out now. Have a listen whenever you get a chance. Time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behaviour. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series. Brian, it's good to talk to you. As always, now, you were good enough to talk to us on your holidays last week, and I believe you're holding off a tea time this week. Uh, indeed, boys. You know the busy life of, uh, of U.S. Murph, right? Whether it's, uh, whether it's chillaxing on a lake or, uh, or teeing it up. But no, this one is a good one. This is a, a, a good charity tournament we have here in San Francisco affiliated with the uh, Giants baseball team. I'm actually on a board of directors, which is, you know, how about that? How about me in a boardroom, you know, making decisions on a, in a mahogany paneled boardroom? Uh, yeah, right. Uh, no, it's for the Junior Giants. It's a little community thing we do for kids, and we raise money. And this golf tournament is uh, is sponsored by this legendary player named Willie McCovey, who was one of my favorites growing up. And to be able to play in his tournament is totally awesome but yeah that's what's going on today but in the meantime I'm all yours yeah well we wanted to get your head into a pretty serious topic before you head off and, and play that Brian this is the events in Ferguson Missouri recently the fatal shooting of Michael Brown an unarmed black teenager by a police officer and everything that's followed that now we read an interesting article on ESPN.com by Howard Bryant about the reaction what he was exploring was the reaction in the sports world he argued that there hasn't been as much said about this, there haven't been as many protests or as many people coming forward to speak as there were, for example, he compared it to the Boston bombing when David Ortiz of the Red Sox led the the Boston Strong movement, for want of a better term there. What's your take on, on that? Well, I read the piece, too, and I'm glad you guys found it because Howard Bryant is not just a great writer, but he's a good friend of mine, too. He and I covered uh, the Oakland A's baseball team for two summers together and and Howard and I traveled the country far and wide and had many, many late-night conversations after games in hotel bars and various taverns around the country. 
And Howard would, and invariably the topics would come back to race. Howard's a very intelligent and outspoken um, advocate of addressing race in America. And a lot of people aren't comfortable doing it, even in 2014. And you know what's funny, guys? I was reading the piece and thinking about you guys wanting to talk about this. I was thinking, wow, we, we did this with Trayvon Martin, didn't we? we we've, we've been down this road of a... Uh, it wasn't the police in that case. It was a that whack job Zimmerman who uh, who took out uh, Trayvon Martin, and we talked about you know what it's like to be young and black in America, and what white society generally, what kind of slack or lack of slack white society still cuts uh, young black teenagers in today's world who dress a certain way, who live in a certain neighborhood, who traffic in a certain demographic, and I'm. I'm with Howard. I agree. I, I, I believe that even 50 years after the Civil Rights Act and, and 50 years after the Watts riots and, and the summer of the 60s, that while there has been tremendous progress compared to 50 years ago, there remain these, these incredible front burner issues that keep getting pushed to the back burner by white America because it's easier to not pay attention to it. And the shooting of unarmed black teenagers is becoming such a thing. I've actually read some black writers who think that this is what they call a modern-day lynching. That's heavy-duty language, heavy-duty language, because we're talking about lynching post-Civil War, you know, pre-Jim Crow kind of stuff where, where blacks in the South were, were flat-out murdered in public on, on trees, you know, the Billie Holiday song, Strange Fruit, and, and all that. Well, I've actually read that this epi—I wouldn't call it an epidemic—but these incidents of unarmed black teenagers getting shot is, is viewed by some as a modern-day lynching, a modern-day crackdown of, of uh, something a white America doesn't like. And I know that's heavy-duty stuff for us to talk about on Second Captains, when we usually like to talk about baseball and football and joking around and all that. But Howard's piece brings it to the forefront because there has been a lack of reaction in the sports community, and I'm puzzled by it. Howard surmised in the piece that I'm sure you guys will turn your listeners onto that the the police and law enforcement have been so glamorized. And, and Howard pointed out in the post 9/11 America, they're viewed as heroes, not villains. And it's hard to come out anti-police or anti-law enforcement because ever since the, the the rubble of New York City, they have been you know the guys you you always salute the fire department and the first responders and all those guys. And 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 this has been a case where the sports community has gone oddly silent and like Howard, I'm, I'm a little confused and a little disappointed. Yeah. His argument is that, um, as you say, he feels there's a, there's a disparity between how police are viewed by, particularly by, uh, you know, middle-class white Americans compared to poor black Americans. But the point is that a lot of the top sports people, uh, top black sports people have come from those poor environments and actually would be very, knowledgeable on the type of dynamic that was at play at Ferguson. So they'd be, they're almost the most interesting people you could hear from on this, but maybe they're a little wary of, of damaging their own brands or I don't know what it is. Is it a, a commercial imperative, do you think, that keeps these guys silent or do they just not want to be seen as troublemakers within their teams? It's a great, it's a great question. And again, it's, it's real, there's really no right answer. And one of the things you think about is in, in our society, and I don't know how it is in Europe or Ireland right now, but there does seem to be, it seems like the corporations are winning. It seems like uh, that, that the dollar and, the, and the, the message and the brand, as you said, 
so astutely. That word has become so key. You know, we've talked about this, 1968 Olympics, you know, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising their black fists, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, in, in, you know, participating in anti-war protests, uh, um, even the black Muslim movement, Muhammad Ali, my God, you want to talk about the ultimate, you know, conscience before dollar thing. I wonder if in today's world, a Cassius Clay raised by Nike or raised by, you know, the NFL Shield would speak out because those those corporations seem to be controlling the message. My God, Tiger Woods, we've talked about this through the years. Tiger Woods has stayed so far away from any kind of social progress message, any kind of attempt to ruffle feathers or, or evoke change. And the only answer is Michael Jordan did the same thing. Remember, he famously said Republicans buy sneakers too. And you've seen this sort of, these guys sign these huge contracts. They sign... And they get pressured by the league and the shield to not ruffle feathers. And, and as you point out so astutely, the, the bitter, I don't know if irony is the word, but maybe it is, but the bitter coincidence of this all is that so many NFL players come from underprivileged backgrounds where police harassment is seriously a problem. And it's seriously something they all live with. And in fact, an argument can be made that most NFL players that succeed are the ones that come from the toughest circumstances because it's such a violent game and it's such an awful way to make a living it's so short-lived the the careers are short the money's not guaranteed but these guys are out there giving it all they got and putting their bodies on the line because they had nothing and now they're getting something so they're sort of valuing that uh, and the message and the shield over over going out there and making a bold individual statement and it is it's a great piece, and it's it's very thought provoking, and it's and it and I I agree with everything. It, it it bums me out, and you know I even see it, even in our line of work, in in corporate radio in America. You know there are things that I don't say or do on the air just because I know it's not worth the hassle, you know, and it's not worth ruffling the man. It just seems like the man is winning, guys. I think that's the bottom line. Yeah, and I mean, the man pays um, athletes to wear the sneakers or to wear the T-shirt, and but it, it seems it's it seems to be about more than that. It also buys the athlete silence. You know that the the that included in the price tag is the silence of the athlete in a situation like this. This and what's interesting to me when watching American sport is that the athletes are almost or to a huge degree black, and the audience is to a huge degree middle class and white. So whereas there are, uh, there's a huge amount of gray of gray areas in American life, sport is now such an expensive thing to go to that it's a very much a polarized atmosphere in sporting arenas that the the players are black and the the fans are white and that it can nearly be as black and white if if you like as that. Yeah, and and so certainly in the NBA that's very very true and in the NFL to a large degree, MLB, Major League Baseball is We've talked about this last week with the Little League Baseball situation is getting actually less and less black and more and more Latin. But again, that's a whole other issue about economics, too, about why baseball teams are predominantly Latin. A strong argument can be made that it is an economic decision by owners to exploit cheap talent. They, they sign these players from the Latin American countries that have nothing, and they get them cheaper than they would by signing American players who come with more leverage, but sort of off topic to your, to your answer. You know, you're hitting on, and, and we do this when you introduce this topic, you're hitting on some very, very heavy-duty themes here. And, you're, you know, there's a guy named Harry Edwards who's a professor at Cal Berkeley, one of the great universities here in America, right here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And he has been a prominent sociologist, and he teaches a class at Cal on 
ethics, sociology, and sports. And I know some friends who went to Cal and took the class, and he opens the class every year, I think. His first statement is, professional sports in America in the modern era is a modern-day slave plantation system. Boom. And that's how he starts the class, and everybody sits back in their seats and says, whoa, buckle up, here we go. I mean, he actually flat-out called it a, you know, a plantation mentality of white owners and black athletes. And we talked about this with Donald Sterling, guys. Think of how these, all these threads connect, all these different you know, connecting issues, you know, whether, how does Ferguson relate to Tiger Woods and Donald Sterling? Well, we've, we've been able to connect it here today. It is interesting how, how things have changed and how some things have not changed. It's like I say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, you know, the, the, the civil rights is 50 years, civil rights act 50 years old, but here we are right now where black athletes should be trying to affect change and they're not. And why are they doing that? Well, because the white owned white dominated media or the white dominated uh, front office of the NFL or the white dominated Nike corporate offices, whatever you want to call it has, as you said, sort of, for lack of a better phrase, bought their silence. So I thought the piece was great. You guys should get, I always, I always try to, you know, you guys provided me with that link on Howard Bryant, but I'm not trying to book your show, but if you have a chance to get Harry Edwards on the professor from Cal, he is a fascinating interview He's uh, in his late 60s now, but the guy has the energy of a 25-year-old. And uh, you know what's interesting about him is that Bill Walsh, the late, great Bill Walsh, 49er dynasty coach, he hired Harry Edwards in the early 80s to talk about race and sociology to the 49ers on an annual basis. And it, was a very, it showed another revolutionary layer of Bill Walsh's career. It wasn't just that he was a great coach and a great drafter of talent and a great offensive mind. He also he was way ahead of the curve as far as sociology and, and poor black athletes playing a rich white man owner's game. And Harry Edwards has, has every year been an, uh, a sounding board and a resource for the 49ers to talk to these kids from places like Ferguson, Missouri, who come into these into the money and into these awkward situations. And so it really is a heavy duty thing. So uh, I, you know, I don't know if we answered any of the questions on the show, but I do know that uh, I do know that it's worth it's worth chewing on alright listen Brian thanks so much and get your head in the game there enjoy the golf thank you <laughs> alright guys thanks for the talk take take care I should mention here that there have been isolated pockets of demonstrations by sports people on this one the Washington football players in particular they held their hands up as they emerged from the tunnel they were doing the hands up don't shoot symbol of protests in solidarity mm. with the community there in Ferguson which you might have seen at some stage so it's not as though there's been nothing but certainly the consensus seems to be the point made in that ASBN.com piece anyway is that it's a little bit more complex, a little bit more uh, conflicted. Yeah. And, and the, not quite as clear-cut as some of these uh, previous tragedies. Yeah, and the overall um, sort of uh, result of, the, or the, the, uh, the, the takeaway from that article is effectively that if it's not black and white, good versus evil, players are not really willing to wade into a situation like this. I mean, Dwight Howard got, uh, like, absolutely destroyed for tweeting something in support of uh, Palestine. Uh, a couple of months ago, Dwight Howard is one of the top basketball players. Yes, I mean, you know, it's it's the sort of thing where if there's nuance, you don't get involved, and that that's basically the upshot of it. The St. Louis Rams offered tickets to the youth of Ferguson. We saw that there was um, the Oakland Raiders player Morris Jones Drew got a uh, scored a touchdown and did the same hands up, don't shoot uh, protest that the Washington uh, NFL team did as well. Um, I'm not sure how much of it is, is down to, we touched on it there, is down to the whole idea of money or the commercialization of sports and sports people, that it damages their brand potentially to get involved or, or could have sponsors worrying a little bit. I think it might be more to do with just not wanting to 
be seen to be in any way a nuisance to their team or to their, I'm not saying yeah. they should feel that way, or to their manager. And this has happened a, a few times. Chris Cluey, who we've spoken about in the past, was a kicker for the Minnesota Vikings who spoke out about gay rights and he reckons that that is a large part of the reason why he was let go from the Vikings. He was a bit, causing a bit too much trouble. Some people dispute that and say he was at the end of his career anyway and maybe that wasn't yeah. the reason. But there's something that I, I think maybe players worry about in terms of how they're perceived within the camp as opposed to by potential sponsors. Yeah, and there's an article, actually another article in the New York Times by a guy called Bill Roden. Um, he talked to the just people in the Philadelphia Eagles locker room and their manager, Chip Kelly, who'd be one of the best known he was in college football before he came to the Philadelphia Eagles he said that um, you know it would be it would be welcomed you know he would actually welcome uh, uh, one of his players maybe it's easy to say that to the New York Times and not <laughs> I would wholeheartedly so. welcome any political protest or anything along yeah, those well it was actually place. interesting in that he said I would never problem with it and then he walked away turned around when he was 30 feet away and said I would actively support that so really yeah you okay. don't know you don't know um, but I mean it's you're still asking a player to take a risk. Our 250th show celebrations continue tomorrow, Friday morning, with David Bedeal on the programme. You can check out our brand new website, secondcaptains.com. Listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app, whatever way you normally do it. And just thank you for all the support over those 250 shows. We're looking forward to bringing you many more. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.